Hey, how's it going? You're listening to The Drive Home. I'm your host, Dale. Don't have any special guests uh, today for right now. I wanted to talk to you about a story I just recently saw um, about a crime that took place in Chicago involving uh, six teenagers. And I was reading the article and something about it just stood out to me. It just didn't seem to make a lot of sense. The article began by saying that these uh, there was five teenagers and they were being charged with first degree murder. So I'm reading the article and I'm, I'm trying to figure out who was killed. And how is it that five teenagers are being charged with first-degree murder? So I'm, I'm picturing in my head, does that mean is everybody participating? You know, they're all, uh, you know, beating this person to death. But I don't find that in the article. Instead, what I find is six teenagers show up, I believe it's Lake County, and... Uh, suburb out of Chicago and they show up some guy's property he owns like a 2011 Audi and they're attempting to steal his car at night he hears something he goes out he pulls a firearm he says somebody was was rushing him he saw an object in their hand so he pulled the trigger shot the person in the head. The person was a 14-year-old boy. The rest of the, the, the kids grabbed the kid, put him in the car that they came in. They came in a vehicle to steal a vehicle, I guess. They put him in a car, and then they speed out of there. They see some cops that are checking out an accident that took place. They stop their vehicle. They tell the cops that their friend was hurt. That he was shot. And one of them gets out with the boy that was shot. The other ones take off. The cops chase the teenagers in the vehicle. The vehicle is on a high-speed chase. They wind up running out of gas. All four of the individuals in the the vehicle that they were in get arrested. The individual who got out with the boy who was shot, who was then uh, pronounced dead a little bit later at the hospital. The boy who gets out with that with the one who was shot gets arrested, and now all of them are being charged with murder. And I'm reading, and something's not right. How can you charge somebody for a murder that they know they did not commit? Like, this is not right. This is not justice. This is not the law. The law would be these kids were trying to steal a vehicle or whatever. Then they should do time for robbery or attempted robbery or something of that nature. They should not be charged with the death of an individual that was with him. So I'm reading about it and I do another, I read another article and I'll put a link in my, um, 
my description for this podcast episode so you can check the article for yourself. And I'm reading about it. Apparently, there's a law in the state of Illinois that makes it so that if you are with somebody and you're committing some kind of crime, like a major crime, like Grand Theft Auto, and someone is killed, like your partner, you will be charged for that murder. The cops didn't kill this kid. Somebody on a property shot and killed him, and he said he was fearing for his life. And, you know, I get that. I mean, if you if you hear noise or something outside at night, you know what I mean, and there's six teenagers, and they are, you know, young black uh, males and one female. Apparently, uh, the three are siblings. And if you step out and, and somebody's messing around with your car or whatever, and then one of them starts to take off towards you, then you are going to fear for your life. And I understand that he, you know, he pulled the trigger. I don't personally have a problem with that. I don't know what I would do in that situation, but I can understand him feeling the way that he did. What I don't agree with is that these teenagers are now being charged with first degree murder. Which, I could be wrong, but as, as far as I know, first degree means you are totally and 100% responsible for the death of this other person. In fact, you killed them. You pulled the trigger, you swung the axe, you stabbed the knife, something, but you're the one who did it. No one else could be blamed It's been proven beyond a reasonable doubt that you are the one who killed this person. First degree murder. There's no other degrees of separation between you. It's not like they overdosed and you didn't take them to the hospital. You are the one responsible for their death. So the argument, of course, is that these kids didn't know that someone was going to get killed. They didn't pull the trigger. They weren't the ones who did that. This kid decided to to rush towards the guy on the porch. Uh, apparently, he had a knife. They found a Bowie knife on the at the scene. These other kids didn't necessarily know. I can't imagine that there was a plan. Like here, we're gonna do is we're gonna get out. We're gonna you know rob this vehicle, take this vehicle, or whatever. If things go down sideways, hey you. You're going to be the one who rushes the person standing on the porch with with the gun, with your knife. You're going to be the one to protect us. The youngest kid in in the group was 14 years old. He was the one who was shot in the head. And he's going to be the one that protects everybody. That doesn't make any sense. So now I'm thinking, oh, here I am. I'm living my life. I'm doing my kind of thing. You know, I've never been involved. I never stole a car. I've never done like some major crime like this or whatever. But these are still young kids. And I get it. Maybe the, you know, the 18 year olds in the group, whatever, they're going to do some time, like prison time. I get that too. But should they be doing 20, 30 years or their natural life? Should they spend their natural, the rest of their life because of a stupid choice? Because they decided that they 
wanted to steal something and and one of their friends got shot in the process should they pay that price should their lives basically be over I I personally don't I don't think so I think I believe in rehabilitation I obviously I believe in redemption I believe that major serious conflicts can be resolved. I believe that forgiveness is powerful and it has the ability to free the person from the types of things that could cause them to have self-hatred and continual guilt and bring about self-destructive choices in their life. Do I believe that they should serve time and there should be consequences for what they've done? Absolutely, 100%. I do not believe that they should go away for life. I do not believe they should be charged with the murder of their of their friend. But right now, they're sitting in some county jail or whatever. And they're basically being told that their life is over with and it's, it's done. And, and it's not right. And I, I, I don't know what I can do. I'm just one voice crying in the wilderness. I'm just one person on this big old planet. I'm not trying to sell anything. I'm not trying to promote anything except for perhaps to love, to love people more, to love God, to love yourself. That I don't know what I can do. I don't know if you if any of you have any ideas, you know, of, of course, you know, they, I, I'm not going to presume, but it's, they probably don't have money. They're stealing stuff. They probably don't have a lot of money. So they're going to get a public defender. The public defender, are they going to have, have convictions? Are they going to do, you know, are they going to go above the call of duty? Or are they just going to get, they're so overwhelmed with all the cases that are on their desk that it's just another one. There should be a public outcry. There's already people already writing about this story and about how it's not right and it's not fair and there's injustice. And this law, this law should protect individuals like this. It doesn't mean that they're innocent, but it does mean that their lives shouldn't be thrown away. Like I said, I'm just one person in Northwest Pennsylvania, one voice and a sea of voices. And I'm, I'm praying, I pray, I pray that justice will be served. I pray that, that there will be a change of heart. I pray that, that a law, the law itself would be, would be changed. That circumstances will be taken into consideration. I don't know if these kids have a long rap sheet. They have a history of crime, criminal activity, a history of delinquency or deviant behavior, lawlessness. I don't know anything about them. I know that they're from Chicago. That's all I know. And I know the facts, at least what's being presented through the media of the situation. And other people are writing about it. I haven't seen anybody necessarily writing to throw the book at them from what I've seen. So it's different than the Central Park Five, you know, where 
these kids were being charged for something that they didn't do. They did do something. But do we really want to... I mean, is that what we want? You know, I, I, did, I did just see... Uh, in the, in the, also in the paper, the individual who uh, put the chokehold on Eric Garner. If you're not familiar with Eric Garner, that happened in New York. I believe he was a father of four. He was selling cigarettes. It wasn't legal what he was doing, but what was he doing brought about the force that was used against him. And that force was he was put in a chokehold and he was choked to death on site. And I, I get, I've been in situations somewhat like that. I used to work for a placement facility for adjudicated youth. And the staff that I worked with, I'm not a big guy. I'm six foot, 160 pounds. I'm not a big guy. But the staff that I worked with, and I'm not a violent guy either, I should say. I'm not violent. But many of the staff that I worked with were. And there was one particular staff who wasn't around the kids very often. And when he was, he always wanted them to know who he was. And his way of putting his mark on them was... If they were to get out of pocket, then he would restrain him. And when he would restrain them, he would choke them. He would put them and, and he would put his forearm across their throat and he would choke them. And the kids were scared of him. They were scared of him. And this guy was proud of it. He was proud that they were scared of him. You know, that's the kind of ego trip that I saw many times from different staff. And I raised my voice. I raised my voice. I was working one night. I'll tell you a little bit of a story here. I was working one night on the perimeter. I was covering the perimeter. And I heard some commotion. And... A, this kid comes barreling out of the teepee that they slept in. And he comes barreling out. And another staff, much bigger than him, much, much bigger than him, bigger than myself, follows behind him, says something to the kid, and then grabs the kid up in a chokehold. And he chokes this kid out. And then he winds up, the other kids come out of the teepee, they're yelling at him. He winds up letting the kid go. The kid falls to the platform like a bag of potatoes. He hits the wooden platform, his head bounces off of the boards, and he's just laying there. And I'm, and I'm there on the perimeter, responsible for everything that's going on. And I see this happening. I watch it with my own eyes. And this is late at night. And this staff, you know, we used to have a, we used to have an acronym that we would follow. 
it was uh, the acronym was TEAM and it stood for time, ego, area, and management. In this situation, it wasn't too hard to figure out 11 o'clock at night, it's not the time for this. In this situation, it's not hard to figure out this kid's much smaller than him, he didn't have a weapon, this staff had an ego issue. In this situation, it's not hard to figure out that when we are only five staff and there are 60 kids, this is not the area to be doing this in, nor are you managing yourself or those around you. Do you have enough people to cover? No, you don't. So this staff was wrong for everything he did. And when the opportunity came for DPW to investigate, to find out what happened, and to determine whether or not the staff had probable cause for the type of force that he used, everybody, everybody turned their heads. But I couldn't turn my head because it was wrong and it was unfair and it wasn't just. And whoever this kid was and whatever he did, he did not deserve to be treated like that. And so when I was asked what happened, I told them the truth. I told them what I saw. They asked me several times. I told them the same thing. They asked me different ways. And I told them the same thing. Eventually, they finally realized this guy is not going to change his story. And I didn't change my story. And that staff was let go. And that was a difficult situation because I had a loyalty to my staff, but I also had a moral importance. I had something in me that I just wanted them to know. I wanted these kids to know that I respected them as human beings. And it wasn't about what they did that got themselves there. It was the fact that they were human beings and they should be treated as such. Once we start treating people less than human, then we treat people less than human. And that's what the communist parties did. If you were to look into China and Russia and the situations when communism was in its full swing, when the people start getting treated as less than human, they get treated as objects. If you want to look at Hitler and what Hitler did and Nazism, when the people in the concentration camps were no longer treated as human beings. They were treated as less than. The dog pens that Hitler created or those that were under his power. The people in the concentration camps created situations that were not fit for any human being because in their eyes, the individuals that were there were no longer human beings. So they did not deserve the treatment as such. And the environment that I worked in, the placement facility that I was employed at, that is the type of reward system that I saw. The, the staff who was responsible for choking out the kids. Though I only saw it happen one time and I said something to him about it. And he 
did not like that. And he had a lot more seniority than this other person who they wound up letting go. He was too valuable to them to just let him go. The other guy, he wasn't as important. But this this one was too valuable because of what he brought. And that's what happens in the concentration camp. That's what happened when they were given power and they were given authority. They were rewarded for how brutal. They were rewarded for how bloodthirsty and cutthroat and ruthless and merciless they were. So I don't know what the demographic, I don't know what was going on necessarily with the the police that were involved in this Eric Garner situation, but that guy, they they have now let him go. He's no longer a police officer. The United you know, New York Police Department uh, fired him. And although it's been a couple of years or what have you since that case has happened, and even though he was he wasn't charged with the death of Eric Gardner, it was just this little tidbit, this sliver of justice that says this will not be tolerated. There are other ways of handling a situation. You do not have to resort to the type of violence that they resorted to. There are other ways of handling the situation with these five teenagers. You do not have to take five teenage lives and charge them for something that they themselves did not do. They did not murder their friend. They did not pull the trigger. You can you can argue the the, the, the philosophy or whatever behind it to say, well, they willingly got into a vehicle or were willingly stealing things and were willingly in that situation. But they themselves not responsible for first degree murder. Illinois is one of the one of the few states that has this law. They don't all have it. So should they be charged the same way? Or should they be treated like human beings? Should they just be given numbers and just sent away to be forgotten in the prison system? Hasn't there been enough Netflix documentaries about this situation for us to kind of realize that, hey, maybe maybe there's a better way? Is that what you would want for your son or your daughter? Is that what you would want for them? Is just to be a number? I don't know. I'm rambling a bit. I get that. But I'm passionate about some things, and this is one of those things that I am passionate about. So like I said, you know, on the drive home, you never know what you're going to get. You might get a sketch. You might get some encouragement. Being a uh, father, you know, I'm a husband. You might get some anecdotes or stories about being married. I'm in a blended family. You might get some stories about being in a blended family. I was in the military. You just don't know what you might get with me. But I do appreciate you listening. I do appreciate your ear and taking the moment and the time out of your day to hear the ramblings of a bearded man. And please uh, click the link. I'm I'm contemplating on on putting up a petition on, I think it's petition.org or something. If there's not one already, I'm going to start a petition for these teenagers out of Chicago. 
Um, I do know a few entertainers out of Chicago that I might contact to see if they would be able to do something to raise a fundraiser or what have you. There are a few uh, hip-hop artists that I'm friends with out of Chicago. So I'm going to do what I can possibly do to uh, to hopefully get a voice in this and um, bring attention to it. Click on the link. Um, and uh, as always, thank you for listening. And I hope to you know where you're going on the drive home.